Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com. Here is this week's teaching. Good to be here and back up here. I'm going to try not to go long because when you don't get to preach for a while, you start thinking, oh, I want to say that, I want to say that, I want to say that. So I got a lot, but I'm going to fit it all in here. One of the things that I recognized when I went to Israel this time uh, is a theme that happened throughout Jesus's life. So we're going city by city and we, we talk about what happened in this city in Israel and the, the tour guide's like, well, here he encountered a somebody possessed by a demon. And the next city, well, here he encountered somebody possessed by a demon. And, and here he encountered somebody possessed by a demon. It was like a theme. It's like all throughout Jesus' life, everywhere he goes, he encounters somebody possessed by a demon. And I think we Christians can learn a lot by looking at how he responded, by what he did. How did he act in these times when Jesus throughout his life faced these devils? And when we ask ourselves the question, how do you respond when devils attack? Okay, little illustration here. Did I go? Nope. I hear the gas. Light. Yeah, we're on. Okay, little experiment. We've got three uh, buckets of water here that are eventually going to start boiling. And each one of these boiling pots are going to represent a devil. Uh, some kind of situation in life, a painful, painful situation uh, uh, encountered in a life. And then we've got three food items that we are going to say represent different people. This first food item is a carrot. It represents somebody who is hard, who is confident, and, and goes into an encounter with a devil strong, confident in his ability to withstand whatever attacks, attacks are coming. And, and he's quite positive that he can handle whatever this devil can throw at him. And he goes into that attack confidently. This next person is not quite so strong. Now, it looks strong on the outside, but inside it's a little bit weak. It's a little fragile. This next person is naive. And when it goes into his encounter with this devil, this person um, believes, well, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe the, the devil I'm facing is actually a, really a nice guy. And, and he goes into the situation believing that maybe good things will come of it. And then the third person is going to be represented by this coffee. This person goes into this attack slightly differently. This person goes in believing that it is going to hurt. Like fully aware that this encounter with this devil is not going to be an easy encounter and it's going to cause some pain in his life. And he goes into the encounter knowing that he will be changed as a result of it. But also, as we'll see later, later happen, happens in this than than with the other ones. So last week, Pastor Paul talks about Jesus's baptism. And if you'll remember in scripture, what happens immediately after Jesus's baptism, the Bible tells us that Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness, into the desert, to be tempted by a devil. 
And so Jesus is in the desert. He is being tempted by the devil. And how does he respond? I'm going to read the story on location in Israel. I am in Qumran. This is where they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls that we um, have used to confirm scripture and the validity. This is also in the desert that is near the Dead Sea. Uh, And this is where Jesus would have experienced his temptation. He was baptized in the Jordan River and then he he came out here to be tempted by Satan. And so I'll read that passage in Luke chapter four, verse one. It says, then Jesus full of the Holy Spirit left the Jordan River. He was led by the spirit to go out into the wilderness where the devil tempted him for 40 days. He ate nothing all the time and was very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the son of God, change this stone into a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scripture says, people need more than bread for their life. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil told him, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them because they are mine to give to you. I will, anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, You must worship the Lord your God, serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest place of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off for the scriptures say, he orders his angels to protect and guard you and they will hold you with their hands to keep you from striking your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the the scriptures also say, do not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. So how did Jesus respond when the devil attacks? What did he use? Scripture, the Bible. He he quotes scripture. So what is our first lesson? If we're going to take a cue from Jesus, how do we respond when devils attack? We respond with the truth of scripture. I have never in my life been more absolutely confident of the truth of scripture than I am right now. It is true. It is perfect. It is alive. It is God's inspired word, his love letter to us, and he's given it to us. We have access to it. It's a powerful thing. We take it for granted because it sat on our coffee table growing up and, and we never really thought anything about it. It collected dust. It's just some book, we think. Until you get to know it you start to realize this is not some book. This is not even a book. This is a letter from God himself. Do you know what archaeology is? It's digging, pretty much. It's digging down beneath the surface of the ground to see what is beneath. And I'm sorry if I'm insulting your intelligence, but usually what happens is over time, ground rises. In an inhabited area, the debris that's, that's formed by, by junk and by demolition and by other things, and then the dust added in with it and the dirt and all of that combines together to make the ground rise over time. And so as the ground rises, the history, what was there before, gets buried beneath. So in order to see what was there before, you've got to dig down archaeology. Research into what was before. As you dig down, you are going into history. So throughout history, people have 
done this, and, and it's grown in popularity a lot in our lifetimes. But one thing I've discovered as I've studied more archaeologists, and, and I follow a lot of archaeology YouTube channels and things like that, and I have discovered something. Most historic archaeologists are Christians or Jews. Most are Christians, and then second would be Jews. Why? Because archaeology regularly confirms the accuracy of Scripture. And as people who have a stake in the accuracy of Scripture, if it's confirming Scripture, let's do it. If research into our history tells us whether or not it's true, then we need to know whether or not this book we're following is true. Let's do it. And so Christians and Jews have sacrificed to do archaeology all over Israel in a way they're doing in a way they're doing today in a way they never have in the past, largely because peace in Israel is at a point it's not been before. And so it's allowed for these archaeological digs to happen all over the place in Israel. And so I wish we had time to go through a list of all the times that historians or scientists have claimed that Scripture is wrong have claimed that the Bible is wrong because they say things like, oh, that city never existed in history. We've read all the history books. There's no evidence of it. Or, or that event could not have happened because we know that that city is over here and not over here. And then eventually, those skeptics have been proven wrong. There has been some archaeological discovery, some scientific discovery that has proven that actually it was not the Bible that was wrong, it was they and them that was wrong. If history or science disagrees with Scripture, history and science will be proven wrong every single time. Just wait. It happens every time. Do you know science can be proven wrong? Have you ever seen that? happen in our world? It's happened. Recently, that has happened. There has never been a single archaeological discovery that contradicted Scripture when it was fully discovered. But the opposite happens all the time. Actually, the opposite happens every single time. I filmed that uh, Scripture video in Qumran, that is where they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. Anybody heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Dead Sea Scrolls uh, were found in the 1940s. They were discovered in some caves. And um, initially, the people that discovered them had no idea how valuable they were, so they sold them off. And then, um, so they find these ancient scrolls, 2,000-year-old scrolls. These scrolls were around when Jesus was on earth. They could even be older than that. And these scrolls are a thousand years older than the next oldest copy of Scripture that we have. And so what would you assume? Okay, we discovered an older copy of the same book that we have by a thousand years. You would assume that in a thousand years, those, the words or the story or at least some details have changed in that thousand years. You would assume that some politician or some leader or somebody with some kind of influence has changed the story a little bit so that they could wield it for their own power, for their own benefit. That's what using the Lord's name in vain is. I'm going to manipulate scripture to make it say what I want it to say so that I can use it for my benefit. 
And you would assume that people who had some control would have done this over a thousand year period. That's not what happened. You would assume that things would have changed in the Bible in a thousand years, right? No. No, the Dead Sea Scrolls do not contradict the Bible. In fact, the opposite is the case. They confirm that the book that we have or the library of books that we have are accurate to Jesus's day. In other words, the scripture that Jesus was quoting, when Jesus quotes scripture, is the same scripture we're reading today. It can be believed. It can be trusted. Jesus trusted it. Jesus believed it. Guys, it's a beautiful thing. There is nothing else in the world, in history, like our Bible. Nothing comes even close. So trust it. Believe it. Memorize it. Use it. And then I want to talk about a second story that happens in Scripture right after the event of Jesus in the wilderness. He is approached by another devil, but this time he doesn't quote the written Scripture. Instead, this time he reveals that he is Scripture. This time he reveals that he is the Word made flesh, and it is him who defeats this devil. Watch this. I'm in Capernaum. This is a city where Jesus spent a lot of his early years of ministry, and he did many miracles here. He lived here for a long period of time. Things like the time when they lowered the crippled man through the roof and um, the time when he healed Peter's mother-in-law. But many miracles happened here, and Jesus' fame really grew while he grew up, while he was in this city. They've rebuilt some of the, the synagogue that Jesus would have studied in and taught in here. And so I'm standing in that synagogue. Actually, beneath me are the exact stones that were part of um, the synagogue that would have been here when Jesus grew up here. Um, I'm going to read a story out of Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 31. It goes like this. Then Jesus went to Capernaum, a town in Gal- Galilee, and taught there in synagogue every Sabbath day. There, too, the people were amazed at the things he said because he spoke with authority. Once when he was in the synagogue, a man possessed by a demon began, to sh- began shouting at Jesus, Go away, why are you bothering us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you are the Holy One sent from God. Jesus cut him short. Be silent, he told the demon. Come out of the man. The demon threw the man to the floor as the crowd watched. Then it left him without hurting him further. Amazed, the people exclaimed, What authority and power this man's words possess. Even evil spirits obey him and flee at his command. The story of what he had done spread like wildfire throughout the whole region. So Jesus has been, has been preaching in Capernaum for some time now, and people have taken note. He, he is quite the communicator. He preaches with confidence, and this was a surprise to them. But nobody thought more, much more about it until Jesus starts to do miracles. Namely, Jesus starts to cast out demons, and people start to realize, oh, this is going to require more of me than just enjoying his talks. Because they believed that only God or God's prophets could cast out demons. So now Jesus is more than just a good teacher, more than just a good preacher. Whenever I hear these stories, it makes me ask this question over and over again. So why don't we seem to come in contact with devils like Jesus did? Why don't we see this in our world, in our lives day to day? 
Well, the first thing I'd say is the fact that we don't come in contact with devils does not mean they don't exist. There absolutely are demon-possessed people in the world today. But I think there's more to the story than that as well. The first answer I'd give is I would say, we find what we are looking for in this world. This is proven in many different areas of study. And Jesus himself tells us to watch out for evil spirits. If we're not watching for them, then we won't recognize them when they attack. The apostle Paul said, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. My family plays this game called the five-second rule. Anybody played the five-second rule? Nope. Okay, we're weird. Um, so we play this game a lot, uh, mostly because we like to make fun of mom, who has a really hard time thinking about words on the spot. Uh, but when Titus was too young to play this game, um, he would watch us playing, and he would say, wow, they're having a lot of fun. And he would get a little bit jealous, so he would try to join in the fun. Well, he couldn't understand how to play the game, except he saw this big timer thing, and then there's these little game pieces that you move around the board, and he said, well, they're having fun. What is fun? Ball. So he started to use the game pieces as a ball and the big timer thing as a bat, and he would try to join in on the fun. And we could not play the game anymore because he was batting the pieces all over the room or golfing the pieces all over the room because when he looks for fun, he sees balls. This is fun for him. He thinks of golf or he thinks of baseball. In our lives, we recognize that we find what we are looking for. All of, all, if you are looking for positive things, you are going to find positive things. If you are going to find negative affirmations of your conspiracy theories, you are going to find affirmations of your conspiracy theories. You're going to find what you look for. Here's the good news. God tells us that if you look for him, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me, he says. You know, throughout history, people have convinced themselves that gods are real. Throughout history, people have convinced themselves that coincidences are miracles. They've convinced themselves that common sense is God talking to them. And so as a result, people find gods that they are looking for everywhere. There are gods in the mountains. There are gods in the stars. There are gods in the water. There are gods of stone. There are gods everywhere. There are thousands and thousands of gods. Why did they find so many gods? Because they were looking for gods. People find what they are looking for. But now, well, we've evolved past that, right? The God stuff, the spiritual stuff that doesn't exist, that's not real. So now that's not what people find. We're not finding gods. Today, most people are naturalists. Most people today don't invite demon possession into their lives like first century supernaturalists did. I'm guessing not many of us have recently used a Ouija board. But anybody who has has probably done it skeptically or to play a joke or to make fun of it. Most of us think, seriously, it's cardboard and plastic. This is a joke. This is 
dumb. But I would say that the intentions behind something like a Ouija board can be very dangerous. They can open us up to spiritual attack. And things like this were very common in Jesus' day. They were everywhere. They had all kinds of things like Ouija boards. And so as a result, it led to a lot of demon possession in Jesus' life, around Jesus. But today we're enlightened. We know that it's all just science and things that we don't understand. So as a result, we have a different problem in the world today because naturalists worship themselves. We don't say it, but we are our gods now. My, My desires, I worship my desires. My opinions, I worship my opinions. If I feel it, I pursue it. If I want it, I get it. We are our gods. And as a result, our demons are often physical demons. They don't open us up to demon possession, spiritual demon possession, like worshiping other gods does. But they do keep us from searching for God. They do keep us from opening our minds and and our belief to the possibility that we're not the highest on the food chain, that we are not the greatest there is. Then the third thing I'd say that is causing us to not see as many devils in our world is the growth of Christianity. If we truly believe that the Holy Spirit lives in us, that we are the temple of God, that's what scripture tells us. If God's presence is in us, then God's presence goes with us. And as we spread, he spreads. And what does that mean for spirits? What does that mean for evil spirits? It means they're running out of room. They're running running away. They've got nowhere else to hide. Because Christianity just keeps growing. Because God just keeps making more and more Christians in the world. And I know that's not the pessimism that you've heard, but it's true. Maybe not in America, but around the world, Christianity is exploding with growth. What does that mean? John 1, 5 says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. The Holy Spirit extinguishes darkness and the darkness can't even fight back. It's got no chance. It is totally helpless against God's light. So then the question becomes, if we are children of the light, If God's unlimited, infinite power lives in us, how should we respond when we face devils? The second thing I would say is, don't be a victim. If you are a Christian, you are not a victim. You are a victor. God's power lives in you. You are his child. You are a victor. Christians, the spirit who lives in us is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. So we've got our three people who have faced attack in their lives. 
First person went in confident in his abilities and his strength. And he went into this account encounter believing that he could handle whatever came his way. But what happened to the strong person? What happened to the carrot? Whoop, it just fell apart is what happened to it. It got soft. It literally broke. That first person went in confident but came out weak. Because the reality is in our lives, we are going to face problems that are bigger than us. We're going to face pains that we cannot endure on our own. And if we try, we will fail. We will lose. The second person went in naive, believing that, oh, I don't have to worry about that stuff. But the second person was hurt and experienced pain. People betrayed him. People hurt him. And as a, as a result, he got hard. He got angry. And he began to separate himself from people because he had, he had been hardened towards relationships. He went in naive, but he came out a skeptic. The third person was not like the first two. The third person went in recognizing that the pain was going to be there, that that problems were going to come. But something crazy happened when this person went in and faced his devil. Yes, he was changed. Yes, it made him different than he was before. But it also changed his environment. He actually changed the devil or the situation that attacked him. And as a result, this third person turned his battlefield into a mission field. And God used the pain. God used the encounter to make him better. And then to change the world. And can we just agree this is the most glorious liquid on planet Earth right now? Praise him. That's the first amen I've gotten in weeks, but that is worth it. I came out of COVID more like the egg. Hard. Because I went into it a little bit naive, believing that I, I said things like, it's going to bring us together and, and we're going to, just like past hard things, it's brought us together and we're going to support each other and we're going to love one another and we're going to help each other through this. And then I saw a lot of the opposite. I saw a lot of people angry at each other, Christians fighting against each other over politics. I went in a little bit naive, believing that you can just believe what people tell you and, and you can just trust if people give you advice, you can just follow. And then I was hurt by people. I felt betrayed by people. As a pastor who was watching Christians fight amongst themselves over stuff that is not worth fighting over over opinions about medical stuff, over opinions about how we gather and about what we wear on our faces and, and those type of things and the way people fought and the way people complained and the angry emails I got, it just made me hard. It made me angry. I've been burnt once before. I'm not going to let it happen again. I'm, I'm going to shut myself off relationally. I started to build up 
walls in my life. Started to separate myself from people who had different opinions than I had and it made me hard and angry, skeptical. When God had called me into the situation to bring light to the situation, to remove the darkness from the situation by infusing his light, by infusing his peace and his hope into the situation that he allowed me to experience, God led Jesus into the wilderness because he knew that Jesus in the wilderness would cause good to happen. As a result, we are reading the story and we are changed by the story. God, Jesus in the wilderness, provided a testimony for us that can give us confidence to face the devils in our lives with his strength, with the truth of Scripture. John goes on to say, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, Jesus says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Because our skeptical side says, Okay, Jesus went... He was confronted by a devil, and of course, he won. It's God. I'm not God. To which Jesus says, I have given you the power that I used. The Holy Spirit lives in us. The Holy Spirit works through us. We are his children. We are his body, his bride church. Where he goes, we go. So when you face your devils, you have been given every weapon you need to turn the battlefield into a mission field. You have been given everything you need to face whatever comes before you. And I'll be honest and say, I've seen the way many of you have handled trials. I went to a funeral yesterday and I was just in awe by some, the strength of some family members. Many of you have faced devils in your life in a way that I don't believe I can at this point in my life. Not matured to that point. So part of me wants to just turn the mic over to you. And say, hey, give us your testimony. Name your devil. What was it? What did God bring you through? Was it depression? Was it loneliness? Or anger? Was it a broken marriage or an illness? Grief, the loss of a, loss of a loved one? Was it fear? Name it, because naming it allows it to become a testimony for others. As you tell your life group, as you tell your friends, as you tell people what God brought you through, he is able to use those pains, those experiences to help you not only to become the person that you were created to be, but also to encourage other people to help them on their journey. Allow God to turn that devil, whatever it is in your life, that battlefield into a mission field. Jesus turned his wilderness experience into a testimony for us, a testimony of the power of God's word. So let God use your story for his glory. God, I pray that today that you would allow us to become the people you created us to be as we face trials, as we experience pain, that it would make us better, that it would cause us to grow closer to you, not to run away from you. 
And as we experience pain amongst ourselves and as we are hurt by other people, God, I pray that you would allow it to actually draw us closer together, that we would put forgiveness and peace forefront in our relationships, that we would forgive quickly, that we would give grace because we've received grace. And God, give us the courage to tell the testimonies that you have given to us. Allow us to turn our battlefields into mission fields. To be fishers of men. To make disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.